Well, this morning, I'd like to have you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And while we will be looking at this passage over the next few weeks throughout the month of January, and we will eventually get back to our study of the book of Colossians, and our hope is that before the end of 2020, we will finish the book of Colossians. It did take us a year to get to where we were or where we are, but I hope and pray, and it is always my prayer that by digging deep into God's Word, we are establishing in our own hearts not just a love for the, the Word of God, but also a trust in it to live it forth and to live it out through the power of His Holy Spirit. And so uh, to, today we're going to be looking at uh, an introduction, if you will, to uh, something that's been on my heart uh, recently, especially from the standpoint of prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy that is uh, happening really just daily. And uh, that is this issue of the terms, the deep state, the deeper state, and the deepest state. Uh, we sometimes think that the only way to apply those terms are in, in, in politics or in the uh, political arena. Uh, while that is true that we have to do that, and we will show you where those connections will be over the next few weeks, uh, nonetheless, uh, it's that deepest state that affects all of the world. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, somewhat today because this is really foundational to understanding why things are happening the way they are in the world today and why they're happening as much as they are in Washington, D.C. Uh, and uh, again, we're not looking at this from a, a political standpoint as much as we are going to look at it from a spiritual and biblical standpoint. So, uh, the text that I want to read this morning is found in verses 10 through 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, it may seem that with a title such as the one I've chosen for today, the deep state and the deeper state, politics may be the ultimate focus of this message. And while there will be mention about the political climate in our nation today, which, by the way, has reached levels of insanity like never before, the true focus for the next few weeks will be on the underlying spiritual, dare I say demonic, activity that has fueled for centuries, and not just since the last presidential election, mind you, the satanic, occultic desires for a new world order, a one world government, a one world religion, and a one-world leader. The prophetic landscape gets fuller with each new year, as revealed by the tremendous tension that we see being played out today in Iraq due to the Iranian-led and directed protests of, of a few days ago leading to the killing of one of Iran's uh, highest military and governmental leaders, General uh, Qasem Soleimani. But we're going to come back to that. We'll come back to those issues, I'm sure. 
But there's one great need for the body of Christ to remember in all of this. And that is that everything that we've seen happening in the world is indicative of the presence of an underlying figure that the scriptures make clear is our enemy. The enemy of our faith, the enemy of our souls, and the enemy of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And depending upon which polls you may read or trust, the consensus of the more reliable research surveys state that 65% of professing or self-described Christians say they no longer believe in a literal devil. Professing Christians. That tells me a little bit about how they view the Word of God. Because if we truly trust and believe in the Word of God, we're going to believe that there's a literal devil. And not only that, but when we see what is happening in the world today, we have to believe that there's a literal devil. And it comes as no surprise that non-religious non-believers, I'm just continuing on with the survey, but, but it's no surprise that of non-religious non-believers, 99 to 99, or 91 to 99% don't believe in a real devil, uh, which bodes well for Satan's time-tested methods of either concealing himself from the world or in his deceptive practices of what I call self-mockery by drawing people's attentions in one way to a man in a red suit with a pitchfork. And in another way, as he is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says, dealing with the issue of false prophets and false teachers, he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Folks, it takes spiritual discernment to know the difference. It takes the discernment that comes through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Discerning of spirits is one of those gifts. To know that we are dealing with deception. To know that we are dealing with an enemy who hates us and seeks really to destroy all that God created and called to be good. So we may just have to come back to that scripture when dealing with the New Age deceptions in churches today because in many churches, and I've used this example too often, but why is it that some churches now promote something called Christian yoga? I'm only using this as an example, but there are many other things that are happening in churches today. Think about the term Christian yoga. That is called an oxymoron. They are contradictory terms. Because yoga, if you understand anything about it, the Eastern practice of yoga is all about a demonic spirit. It begins with a demonic spirit of kundalini, they call it, uh, a, a serpent spirit, by the way. Where does that come in, in the church? Why is that happening? 
It happens because people have set aside, churches set aside the word of God. They only accept what they want to believe or what they want to, you know, match their own way of thinking. And that's why we're in such trouble in the body of Christ today. The point of all of this is that we're in a war. We are in a war, a war with an unseen reality. And for the most part, an unseen enemy with vast minions who must be discerned for who and what they are. Excuse me. And this is the reason why Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Because if, if, if I see that correctly, flesh and blood is something we can see. And he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the understanding is that those things we cannot see. But this is war. Which has been raging way before the events of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And has relentlessly made its way to the shores of the 21st century, revealing the desperate nature of an insane enemy running out of time, hopelessly fighting to destroy as much and as many as he can. Consider the words of Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. We're in speaking of the devil himself. In the context of the attacks by Satan against the nation of Israel. The first few verses of chapter 12. Notice what it says. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Woe to those that are on the earth today because what it's describing is at that time, which is still prophetic and still yet to happen, those that are on the earth at that time, the church has already been taken out. It is, it is not, no longer on the earth. So it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that, it, that he hath but a short time. The devil knows that he has but a short time. This is the reason why we see a lot of stuff happening in, in these days before the coming of Jesus for his church. That's already begun. It's just going to be greater in, in, in scope when, when the time comes for the end destruction of all that will be happening during the tribulation. Now, one of the major problems in the church today is that too many professing Christians are undiscerning about the times in which we are living, not realizing that the time is short. In other words, the devil knows his time is short and he's doing what he's doing. The church, in many cases, People in the church are not knowing that the time is short or else they're ignoring that the time is short or else they're setting it aside like we do oftentimes do well. We can pick up on this later on. But that's how the devil is getting an upper hand on the unsuspecting church goer. Do you now understand? Now I ask this to, to those of you who have been with me long enough here uh, over the last 35 years. 
So my question is to you, do you, do you now understand why I make strong statements about segments of the church that have, for the most part, all but removed the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ from their services and even from their Sunday schools? Do you now understand why I am skeptical and cautious of modern translations of the Bible that weaken the necessity for staying on top of what is happening in our world prophetically? It burdens my heart that, people, that a lot of people who, com, who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ have no clue that Jesus is coming for the church. That Jesus made a promise before he went to the cross in John 14. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. And Paul continues that understanding in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When he speaks directly about the rapture of the church. And the Lord coming at the sound of the trumpet and, and the trump of God. And, and, and the voice of the archangel. And to snatch the church out at an appropriate and proper time. A time that only he knows. But how many people really look at that today? Especially those who profess Christ. I want you to consider that one of the most popular uh, people in Christendom today is Rick Warren, and Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, who, by the way, uses 14 modern Bible translations throughout his book. 14 modern Bible translations throughout the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And, and one of them is the message, which I believe is a perversion of the Scriptures, a outright perversion of the Scriptures. And he calls it the Bible when he, when he quotes from the message. I would not. I've read it. Anyway, he states on page 285 of the Purpose Driven Life. He says, when the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus quickly switched the conversation to evangelism. <clears throat> he wanted them to concentrate on their mission in the world. He said, in essence, the details of my return are none of your business. What is your business is the mission I've given you. Focus on that. Wow. I don't remember Jesus ever saying that. But Rick Warren was referring to a question asked by the disciples before Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection. I'm sure you're familiar with Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's none of your business. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> he said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
Now, there's no way that I can interpret what Jesus just said there to the statement where Jesus tells them it's none of your business. Because Jesus' response to questions before the resurrection, before the resurrection, before the resurrection, I don't want to get too far from my mic, before the resurrection is one of the great passages in the Gospels that pertain to the events of the latter days. It begins in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now remember, this is uh, within the week before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What was he just saying? He was just giving them a prophetic statement, something that has yet to happen, something that matters to Israel and matter to them as disciples of Jesus. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And notice Jesus' initial response to the question. It's none of your business. That's not what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed. And and remember this. This is given to the disciples, but it's also given to us. To the church. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. While we are to know with certainty the mission of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, we are also to know the signs of the times and the time of the signs, especially today, concerning the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because it can happen at any moment. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is the reason why I continue to stress at every service. Keep looking up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption draweth nigh. It is near. Keep looking up. Be hopeful. Christ is coming as he said he would. We are to be like the sons of Issachar that are mentioned in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, where it says of them and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. We need to have understanding of the times. Notice the next phrase, to know what Israel ought to do. We need to know what the church has to do in these last days. It's not, it's not about looking for an escape valve. Jesus is our escape. He is our rescue. But how many people over the last 2,000 years have been persecuted and even executed for their faith? 
Yet now they're in the presence of Almighty God and of Christ. We tend to forget the eternal nature of our relationship and fellowship to Jesus Christ. So we who are on the earth, what what was it that Paul said? Those, Those who are dead shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Well, Paul already knows. He's been raptured. But we who are alive and remain, we shall know. Part of the problem that many are having in the church in respect to the conflict with the enemy of our souls being a constant tempter and disruptor of our faith walk can be seen in the dependency that many place on on the internet in general and and, and in social media in particular. I I do not like social media. I'm oftentimes told, well, you know, you kind of have to put up with it because, I mean, there's there's ways, uh, uh, you know, preaching the gospel and all of this. Well, maybe. Maybe. But it's also become this this platform where people now have this uh, opinionated attitude. We tell people, listen, like me on Facebook, like me on YouTube. We have the ups and the downs, you know, the thumbs up, the thumbs down. I I can just see, you know, Emperor Nero, you know, doing that. Somebody says something, and all all of a sudden, somebody has to write something stupid. Like people in Hollywood, after what happened uh, with the killing of this general. Which was in response to what? To Iraq, or to Iran-led protests that were attacking the embassy there in, in, in Baghdad. Any other U.S. president would have been commended. But here we have Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, thumbs down. (laughs) Somebody back there. (laughs) I was reading yesterday uh, uh, one side of, of this internet news on one side of the page was this article about missiles that were hitting the green zone in Iraq where our troops are housed. I mean, that's an important thing for us to know. They're still attacking our our troops. But right on the other side of the page, right next to it, almost in the same size, you know, of of heading, it said seven bold predictions for the NFL playoffs. It was like... I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay the playoffs, you know, poor Cowboy fans. But anyway, you know, that, not, not that trying to go, you know, deep on that. I, th- I think, you know, if you keep scrolling the pages of news, it's, it's all about entertainment and who's married to this and who's doing that and who's changing genders and just goes on and on and on. But you know what it does? It takes our, our eyes off of what matters. You know, to God, nations matter. And this nation that was raised to be a support to his nation, Israel, matters. Do we just turn off one news story of grave importance to our nation just 
just to focus on something a bit less serious, if not a whole lot uh, less serious? So it seems that war in some minds can wait till after the Super Bowl. But what is happening in the Middle East is connected to the warfare of our enemy. And what is happening in Washington, D.C. is connected to the warfare of our enemy. We cannot escape these things if we are indeed children of the Most High God who have been commissioned to be soldiers in a heavenly struggle for which we need to be spiritually and biblically equipped. The enemy is real. But so much more is our commander-in-chief, the Lord of hosts. He enlisted us. He enlisted us, making something quite clear to us. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. I may have mentioned this at some time as you're turning to 2 Timothy, but it seems like my Bible, or any Bible that I have... Anytime I just open, it always falls to 2 Timothy. It, be, it has become my favorite book in the Bible, in a, in a sense, because it is the most personal to me. It is Paul's last letter written to, the, written to his son in the faith, Timothy, but it is his last letter before he enters into glory, before he is taken and executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells us, I have fought the good fight. And uses terms that are not just from the standpoint of athletic, you know, but actually military. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. In 2 Timothy 2, in verses 1 through 4, Paul encourages and exhorts his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Using the very similar words to what he writes to the Ephesians in verse 10 of chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men. Who shall be able to teach others also? What? what? What was it that he had heard? He heard the word of God. He heard the true and pure teaching of the word of God that needed to be passed on to the church in Ephesus because that's what Timothy was, the pastor of that church. A church that would affect many lives and many other churches as men were sent out with the gospel of Jesus. And notice the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Faithful men. Men who have heard the words of Paul who said, follow me because I follow Christ. And then he says this. To strengthen the understanding of what he is called to do. He says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Any good soldier in here of our veterans and those who are in active duty, every one of our good soldiers in here knows what hardness means, knows what it means to go through training, basic training, advanced training, specific kinds of training. 
It's a hardness. No man that worth entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Single-minded. Single-hearted. And what's the reason? That he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And every one of us that is a believer in Jesus Christ, that truly loves the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, every one of us was chosen to be a soldier. And we're called to endure hardness. And we may endure more hardness this year than we did last year. But we can do it if we continue to keep the mindset that we are soldiers. The last thing that we need to be as good soldiers of Jesus Christ is spiritually ignorant. Let me just say we should not have that as even a thought in our minds. We should not be spiritually ignorant of the enemy. A good soldier is taught to learn, to look at the enemy, to know the enemy, to know as much about the enemy as possible. Because it would be too costly to us and our brothers and sisters who are in the midst of the battle with us not to know the methods of the enemy. In fact, going back to verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6, we're not, you don't have to turn there, but it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, uh, or to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there in that verse is the Greek word methodeia, from which we get the English word method, the methods, the methodology. And so we are able to stand against the methods of the devil when we put on the whole armor of God. Consider that 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. By the way, it's interesting that that comes right after a verse that talks about us being people that can forgive others. But it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices, and therefore we should not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Why? Because we're in a war. And if that is the case, then we also need to bring those things to the light that are causing so many to falter and to fail because the darkness surrounding them has become of more interest to those on the cusp of failure than the precious light of Christ's glory. Go back to Ephesians in chapter 5. Because here in verses 6 to 16, in these 11 verses... There's a pattern and a lesson for us to learn. In verse 6 it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. Let no man deceive you with empty, useless words. That is what the word vain means. Let no man deceive you with, with useless, worthless words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Why, why does the, the preacher of uh, Ecclesiastes with Solomon say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Under, the, under, the, under heaven, everything under heaven is vanity. 
Without God in people's lives, without Christ in people's lives, everything is worthless. Everything. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. What would attract us to go back to the world? Back to the things that we did. Back to the things that dishonored God and Christ. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Do not partake in the activities of the enemy. Even though we wrestle not against flesh and blood, what's driving those who are not in Christ? It says, for you were sometime darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's what we are all to do. That is what the soldier of Jesus Christ is to do. To walk in the light of the Lord. To walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And notice now again, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't have fellowship with the works of darkness, the things of darkness, the things that you do in the, in the darkness, but rather reprove them, which means expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in them, of them in secret. Now, we're going to be dealing with secret things in the next couple of weeks when we deal with things like shadow governments and, and uh, deep state and deeper state uh, operatives and all of that. Uh, that's what's happening that... Uh, under, under the level that we cannot see. So that's, that's an important verse, but let's, let's go on. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And certainly we were awakened when we were in, in the very death of our spiritual life. Read Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. So we are to wake out of the sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then, and notice this, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, carefully. Walk carefully, circumspect. The word circum, it's like circumnavigate. And you are aware of everything that is around you. Walk circumspectly with great care of those things around you. Not as fools, but as wise. And here's the reason. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Using the most of the time that God has given us on this earth. Because the days are evil. And if they were evil in Paul's time. The evil has multiplied greatly. The unseen deepest state that manipulates and influences the world as we see it today is the enemy himself. It is the enemy himself. It is the Nahash of Genesis chapter 3. Nahash is the word that is used in verse 1 of Genesis 3. Now, the Nahash, the serpent. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. 
I'm going to come back and define this term, nahash, uh, in one of our next studies. It's an important one to understand the deep, deeper and deepest state. But the enemy is not only the Nahash, the serpent, who is defined actually in the book of Revelation as the serpent of old, the devil, Satan. He's also the one named Lucifer in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The word Lucifer means light bearer. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. The pride of the enemy. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And by the way, he, did have a, he does have a throne. We're going to talk about thrones as well. In the deep, deeper and deepest states. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. In the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Five I wills of Lucifer. The five I wills that's, that reveal this arrogance. And yet... In verse 15 it says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The enemy is not only the Nahash and Lucifer, but he's also called the anointed cherub in Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> and by the way, a cherub is an angel, but not like we see in Hallmark cards, you know, little fat angel flying around, shooting arrows at people. That's... that's we call them, you know, cherubs, but no, these are not that kind. It's, uh, you'll read here about this cherub. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, who could that be? Mahash, the serpent. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Ah, number one, he's a created being. Number two, he was something of a worship leader before the throne of God because of the tabrets and of the pipes. That, that's speaking of musical instruments. And then he was decked out in all of those stones and precious metals. And you would see now how he could become so arrogant to say, well, I should get some of this glory myself. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Till iniquity and lawlessness and sin 
was found in thee. You know, the Lord has a great plan against the wicked one. And it wasn't a plan that he kind of came through thinking, man, where did this guy come from, you know? No, he'd always known the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knew that this would happen. It's hard at this point to understand fully the mind of God, but that's okay. We trust the the God whose mind is stayed upon thee, who loves thee and cares for thee. But he has a great plan against this wicked one, and it will remind us of why Jesus came to this earth. He came not just to give us a nice winter holiday. He he didn't just come. Even though it's a great reason, he came to die for the sins of men. He came to die in our place. He came to be our substitute on the cross. Yes, and all of that is, is of great importance. But let's remember this. Jesus came to this earth to reverse the curse of the devil. And he came to destroy all of the devil's works. And John tells us that in 1 John 3 verse 8. I'll read the whole verse, but it's the second part of the verse that matters here. He says, well, both, both parts matter in context. But he says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. In other words, he who commits uh, continual sin, you know, just out of the depth of his heart is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. But notice this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. For this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 